A relatively new archetype in the arena of pop culture is that of the gamer. We all know them. Our cousins who come to family gatherings only to sit in the living room playing Mario Kart. The romantic partner who thinks downloading the newest Halo game is an adequate anniversary gift. Or your friend who failed out of college only to make more money than you on their Twitch channel. Gamers are everywhere, including pop culture. How is this subculture portrayed in movies, documentaries, and books? Does pop culture accurately capture the passion, aesthetic, and lifestyle of these joystick warriors? Join the Bonsai Boys, Jay and Travis, as they peep into the world of gamers in this four-part series, The Gamer Set. Okay, gentlemen, Jay, Lance, here's my question to you. Um, Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter, what camp do you, what camp do you sit in? Jay, I'm coming to you first. Street Fighter? Street Fighter all the way? Street Fighter. Yeah. You answered that pretty quickly. You sure you don't want to think about it? Oh, yeah. I had Street Fighter at at the corners I grew up. I would like sit there for hours at the arcade, at the at the Circle K, the machine, at the back of the store, and I do I'd spend all day there. Is it Street Fighter at Circle K? What <laughs> you? How old are you? Did you have a Slurpee? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Never let of course. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we got one for Street Fighter, Lance. Oh, Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat. I like this already. We have yeah. a Mortal Street Combat between the two of you. Between video games, Mortal Kombat, why? Jay went nostalgia. He he went real personal with it. <laughs> uh, Mortal Kombat was revolutionary, dude. If you remember that first game, they had actual actors as the uh, as the I don't know what you would call those the uh, avatars characters. Yeah, avatars. Thank you. Yeah, they, they had actual people like you know performing the moves and stuff and this was on a you know super nintendo or whatever it was and it was just revolutionary man and it was so violent how so violent how old do you think the guy who like played like johnny cage is now because that was like what 92 93 yeah he's gotta be i don't know late 50s 60s you think he still gets laid off that like at a bar because he's definitely tending bar, right? Not the guy who played the martial arts guy for Johnny Cage is definitely tending bar somewhere in, like, San Diego right now. Jay knows I collect retro video games. I have thousands and thousands of dollars worth of retro video games. So I on that TV, I have a Dreamcast, an N64, Sega, Super Nintendo, Nintendo, all hooked up to it. Hmm. And then I also have the, uh, the retro reissues where I can play on the on the regular TV, you know, but those old ones with the composite cables, you got to play on an old tube TV. Um, this is the point, Jay, where you ask me, which one do I like? Do I like Mortal Kombat or am I Street Fighter guy? Wait, hold, hold on, hold on. Hey, Travis, which one of those would you choose? Uh, I'm Virtual Fighter. Virtual Fighter. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, go, I go Street Fighter, Street Fighter. Isn't there a game called Virtual Fighter? Tekken, I'm a Tekken guy. Virtua, Virtua, isn't it Virtua? Virtua? I don't know. I feel like Tekken, like they were at a pitch meeting, like we're gonna call it Virtual Fighter, guys. Like Stanley walks in, he's like, "All right, true believers, we're gonna call it Virtual Fighter. It's two guys <laughs> virtually fighting." 
you know. <laughs> um, I'm I I I I'm gonna go Street Fighter. The Street Fighter game. I just love the stereotypes. I just love the stereotypes. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, could that game exist now? I mean, we have a yoga guy in India. We have what else? We got um, the Russian dude, the big old Russian, the Russian bear, uh, Zangief, right? Uh, you have um, uh, Guile, like the flat topped. I mean, it's oh, just yeah, great. Yeah. You know, I love oh, games yeah. that profile. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, the Russian guy wasn't he played by? Um, oh, what was his name? Raw. Raul Julia? Oh, also, no, Raul oh, Julia the was movie. the captain dude. What was but he? Raul yeah. Julia was the, the main like guy with the captain hat. The, there was a big yeah. Russian dude. Like I don't remember who he was. But well, a little, I think it was his last movie before he died. The, a little known fact is that Raul Dahl actually played the motion capture of Zangief in the Street Fighter game. <laughs> I'm calling bullshit on that one. <laughs> Welcome to the Pop Bonsai Podcast. Bonsai! All right, ladies and gentlemen, you have tuned in for the first of a four-part set. And Jay, look at this. I'm just going to hand this ball, just whoop, catching this ball. What are we calling this set, Jay? I'm interested, too. I'm excited what we what we landed oh, on. <laughs> You're, whatever well, you say right now is going to be the name of the set, so think carefully. We're calling it the Gamer Set? Were <laughs> <laughs> you right? Let's try to uh, do, uh, do a little pitch. No, be- a gamer, gamer set works. Get it sounds like a lot set? like gamer get gate. Well, we can do that too. Yeah, we're we're talking four four hours on Gamergate. Um, we're gonna bring in some politics. What is what? Gamergate? <laughs> Gamergate is know. when they had that uh that whole thing about eight years ago, where in the video game industry, it was like women were being like pushed out of the development of video games, uh, and there was this whole um, Me Too before Me Too uh, with oh, really? um, uh, video games. Um, yeah, it was. You guys want to get heard into this right now? You guys want to talk politics right now? I didn't even know. <laughs> well, I know that that happens in nearly every industry, so I'm not surprised. Yeah, but. yeah, but this was even be- this was around 2014. Yeah. Wow. Really? Mm-hmm. So it was me too before. So it was me one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what's his name had to change the the name of Ready Player One used to be called Ready Player Buns. Uh, but then after Gamergate, they were like, this is way too show Way better title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, Jay. So we're calling this the Gamer Set, and we have a first for the Pop Bonsai podcast. Premier. Premier first guest. Sean Connery. Man. Sean Connery. Now you have to do a Sean Connery impression the whole rest of the episode. Our It'd guest. be amazing if you got Sean Connery, considering <laughs> <laughs> he died a couple weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, a couple of like months ago. Um, yeah, well, uh, COVID, everything is real condensed. That's true. That's true. That's true. So, Jay, since you're older buddies with our guest, uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce 
to the Pop Bonsai crowd who we have on the podcast today. Sure. Uh, with us, and like Travis was saying, the very first uh, Bonsai buddy is uh, Mr. Lance Couch Cruncher Speroni. What up? Um, nice. Insert editing applause here. <laughs> no, you should just put a bunch of booze in there. I'm gonna insert you know, like, like Jerry Springer, like Jerry Springer S, like boo, like when they say <laughs> his name. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm happy to be here, guys. When when Jay asked me, I I got excited. Almost couldn't done it because uh, you guys want to do it next week, and I'm getting the snip snippy next week. You get a haircut so. next week. Uh... <laughs> Yeah, take your haircuts baggy. very seriously. Just a bang yeah. trim, though. Yeah, you're getting your follicles <laughs> tied. Straight. You're getting your ball. You're getting your follicles tied. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no more kiddos for me, man. Oh man, I'm done. Uh, how many are we up to now, Lance? How many kids? I have five. five. So I had to. I had to one up Jay. I feel like the scene in uh, Google Hunting where. Uh, Will's making up his family, and he's like, "I got like, tw- I have twelve uh, older brothers." And she's like, "No, you don't." And he and he's like, "Yeah, I do." And she goes, "Give me their names." And he's like, "Marky, Timmy, Joey, Johnny, Brian, and Brian." <laughs> and you're like, "I feel like I want to quiz you. Can you get how quickly can you give me your kids' five names?" Oh, my kids. Yeah, uh, yeah. Kaylin, William, Lex, Taylor, and Olivia. Was that an order of age or order of your favorites? Order of age. Mm. Now favorites. I won't Go. tell you which one is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want this coming back to haunt me. You know. Yeah. Well, we got Lance on because we thought Always the baby. what a more appropriate guest to get as the debut guest on our podcast. Uh, then we're opening up another set. We're cracking another set open, as Jay explained, the gamer set. So Jay and I, over the course of the next month, we are going to be looking at the world of video games and gaming culture through the lens of pop culture. So you obviously can Google video games or uh, arcades, and you'll find numerous thousands of podcasts that are going to tailor their podcast to talking about specific video games, video game culture. That's kind of not what we're doing here. What we're doing is we're looking at how pop culture has taken the video game world and how they are representing it in things like movies, in books, in documentaries, in songs, in music. This is what we're doing. We're looking at the reality of the gaming world, and then we're looking at the pop culture depiction of the gaming world. And this is a world that I have not dipped my toes heavily into uh, as a about-to-be-37-year-old man. Uh, I would say that (laughs) certainly I've I've been a witness to the video game evolution, and have participated in it at some points of my life, but am by no means an export expert, or might I even say a fan. Mm, mm. True. And with that intro and my own explanation of my place in video game culture, I'm going to hand it off to our guest. 
where do you think you, uh, what, if the video game world uh, were on a scale of one to 10, 10 being like you are diehard, like right now, if you open up your podcast app, you will be subscribed to at least five gamer podcasts. You listen to video game soundtracks for fun. Uh, you <laughs> sketch and write um, video game fan fiction. That's a 10. Where are you on the scale? One is uh, yeah. your mom. It, it really depends on how you look at it because my devotion comes to retro games so i'm not a huge uh current gamer i do play current games but not nearly to uh the extent of my um co-host uh max from couch crunchers he would be a 10 i would probably be somewhere on the six to seven scale i don't subscribe to podcasts mm -hmm. uh having to do about video games but um I, I have a love for them, and I definitely see the value in what they've done for pop culture, and and you know, and and almost to the point where they've replaced movies as kind of a cinematic experience. Some of these new ones, so um, yeah, I would I would place myself at a, like a six or seven, a six or seven. Before we move to wow. Jay, I I just want to let you know, Lance, that I did hand over your intro to Jay. Um, and what he didn't do was he didn't mention your podcast at all uh, or the fact that you are a podcaster. Now, Lance, this is important. This is something I would not do to you. Now, Jay, I'm not angry with you. I'm not angry with That's you good. at all. Because I'm, I'm not Lance. Lance, how are you feeling about this? Oh, I've always hated Jay. So, <laughs> no, we known. love Jay. It's no, it's a known thing. Jay is the good guy in this podcast. Jay oh, is. Yeah. I feel like I feel like Jay. Jay is the fan favorite. Uh, <laughs> he watches his language. He has more insightful comments, and he picks a lot of the material. So, <laughs> yeah. So uh, if you don't, if you if your listeners don't know this, Jay used to be on my podcast. Oh and, boy, uh, mm. not. Not my decision <laughs> for him to leave, but uh, he he left, and our podcast just definitely went into the gutter after he left. There was none of that insightful. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> deep thinking. You know, we we got much more into the poop and pee jokes and fart jokes and stuff when Jay left. Um, but yes, he does bring that to the to the show. Is that a je ne sais quoi? A je ne sais quoi? Yeah. As I like to call it here on this podcast, <laughs> much more polished than me. <laughs> all right, Jay, bring uh, us that je ne sais quoi. First and, of all, first of all, everyone knows that I'm the Paul Schaefer to Travis's David Letterman. Um, so, uh, no, I I used to play a lot when I was younger. Um, and I think I've had pretty much of Nintendo that came out since the very, but do I play them now? I, I probably haven't played a new game in 10 years. Uh, I still like, you know, the classics. I still, I would like to play, uh, new video games if I had time. Um, but, and I think they're awesome. Yeah, or yeah, or money. But I think they're awesome looking. If I had time and money was 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 not a factor, I'd, dude, I'd I'd be sitting there playing right now. I'd be playing some. Uh, I don't even know what new game the Spider Man or or one of those Batman wow. Arkham games or or um, gosh, so Star Wars games. I mean, those awesome stuff, man. But as, as on scale, if Lance gives himself a six, dude, I'm like, I'm probably like a 
two. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, 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 this is good. This will be a fun uh, experiment over this next month as we kind of go into it. So we're not talking from any sense. Lance certainly can carry us through, and I'm glad he's on the first set so he can maybe give us some direction here on on how things are going. So that's what we're going to explore. We're going to explore some some tropes when it comes to how are gamers represented in the, the world and everything I mentioned earlier. But I want to get into talking about today's set. Uh, which is the film Scott Pilgrim versus the World. This is a 2010 film directed by Edgar Wright based on a comic book. Jay, did you write that down by, by chance? Who wrote the comic? That was based on a comic? Yeah. Uh-huh. Do, do you know who the writer of that comic was? Uh, yeah, it was uh, Brian Lee O'Malley. You and, know what, Jay? Uh, the series. I don't know why I'm doing this. Like, you're way better at this part than I. <laughs> Go ahead and <laughs> take it from here, Jay. All right. Well, so yeah, so we're doing the first thing we're gonna we're gonna be talking about in our uh, gamer set is like Travis said, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, and it's a movie that came out in 2010, directed by uh, uh, British film director Edgar Wright, starring Michael Sarah, Kieran Culkin, Anna Kendrick. Aubrey Plaza, Jason Schwartzman, Chris Evans, Brie Larson, Brandon Routh, and last, certainly not least, my girlfriend, Mary Elizabeth Weinstead. And, and yes, the the this movie was based on a series of graphic novels that was written by Brian Lee O'Malley, and they started coming out in August of two thousand four. Um, and the film, uh, the film adaptation actually debuted at uh, San Diego Comic-Con on July 22nd, 2010. Was the uh, was the film did the film come out after the whole Scott Pilgrim series had completed or was it Mm-mm. still developed? Okay. I believe the first two were out and the third one um came out later, either right before or right after the movie came out. Mm, excellent. Look at you're so great at that you even said like british film director edgar wright which i thought was was yeah 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 (laughs) yeah i Um, I assumed with a name like edgar wright i assumed he was british (laughs) now have either of you read the comics that this film is based on i own them but i have not read them yet so i have i have some but i haven't cracked them open yet fucking poser I just read the first one. I read the the first one, part of the second one, but the first series doesn't even cover the whole movie. Um, It only does like, gosh, maybe half the first the first graphic novel. Having having read the first graphic novel, do you see similar story beats from the film we're gonna be discussing and the graphic novel? Oh, dude, it's it's uncanny. I mean, yeah, for sure, Edgar Wright. First of all, Edgar Wright really understood what Brian Lee O'Malley was doing with mm-hmm. with this graphic novel. And not only did he get the characters right, but he apparently he was really, really meticulous in selecting people that looked like the drawings in the comic, which they do. It's hilarious. And that that's amazing too, because the drawings in the comic are not um defined at all. They look style. very crazy. Yeah. yeah, but look just look at them and then you'll know ex- without even knowing, you'll know who the characters are. Yeah. Because yeah. they look enough like it. It's amazing. Okay. Lance, 
I'm gonna give this one to you. All right, Lance, if you had to summarize the, uh, I'm I'm making everyone do the heavy lifting. If you if you had to summarize <laughs> the store, the film version of Scott Pilgrim versus the World, what would you say? What would your log line be? Not a log line, but uh, your summary. And I am timing you. Well, it starts Scott Pilgrim, Michael Sarah Scott Pilgrim, and he's kind of like a a cynic to the world, has no direction in life, plays in a band. It's I very, feel like I am uh, cosplaying Scott Pilgrim right now, actually. <laughs> yeah. It's very parallel to how my teenage years were. Um, and he he's kind of a cynic, and he's just lives on his buddy's couch, and then he meets this girl that changes his life and doesn't even know her name starting out, just draws like a... Uh, a circle with a scribbly line on it, you know, trying to find this girl and uh, finally finds the girl. Um, They start getting romantically involved. And it turns out that she has uh, some exes that are part of this guild that um, they, these exes are going to hunt him down and and find him and and fight him in kind of very street fighter, mortal Kombat ish fashion, right? Very video game fashion. And there's seven, seven deadly exes um and uh and he goes through and fights them all and if he beats them all then he wins ramona's love but the main one the main ex is jason schwartzman and who's kind of the kingpin of this guild i guess you could say and uh it it culminates into a a fight at the end that um is very video game-esque and uh he wins the love of his life. Oh, that was so sweetly told. Yeah. Thank you, Lance. I'm almost crying over here. That was <laughs> did, really... did I make it brief enough? I it, mean, no. I mean, I wasn't crying about the plot lines of the story. I was crying over how how concise that summary was. It was amazing. <laughs> it was um, tender. It was, it was tender. tender. It was, it was yeah, it's one of my favorite movies. Like, yeah, I absolutely. You had no problem uh, knocking that out. So yeah, it's I, been about six months since I've seen it. I can recall it just. <laughs> I, I don't nothing. think you, I don't think you can talk about this movie without talking about the intersection of its two main influences, which is comics and video games. Okay, mm-hmm. so when I, when I watch this movie, uh, you see the intersection of them. What? Uh, so starting off, just kind of tone wise or aesthetic wise, what do you think this comic, uh, this movie leans? Uh, more heavily on uh, comic books or uh, video games? Um, I would say Mm. if you didn't know that it was based on a comic, you wouldn't know by Mm. watching the movie. Mm -hmm. I would say it it definitely leans more towards video games. Mm -hmm. Um, There's no, like, you know how a lot of movies, when they're based on comic books, uh, some of the indie comic books and stuff, they'll do like, um panels like uh wipes or something like that like very try to put that comic aesthetic into their movie uh this doesn't do that at all it's all video game aesthetics in this movie i think the Uh, first mention of video games might be like maybe 10 12 15 minute mark with maybe 10 minute mark with young neil when he's like well what do you play in the band he says well i play (laughs) like this this tetris pac-man and these aren't the games he says i don't know lance you might have an idea um like zelda whatever it is and then I was, that was the i feel like the first mention because as i remember when the movie started i was like how soon 
before the video game references are coming in because I know the fights and the power bars and and that defeating of uh, X's really you know brings in those video game fighting elements but how far how far into the movie do I get when I till I till I see the video game references because I saw the comic book stuff immediately as far as the aesthetic the 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 way it's filmed it's so panel for panel which is what I hmm. in this in this thing it's I think Edgar Wright is a better editor than he is anything else he's a fantastic phenomenal director but there are there are directors who are story minded um and like beat for beat plot minded there are mm-hmm. uh, actor directors who can get performances out of actors like a scorsese and then there are i feel like d- directors who are editors and i feel like edgar wright when if you watch like baby driver and this movie he 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 has the, he has how he's going to edit it as he's doing the you know plotting out the beats of the of the script and since he's not doing his own material he can just kind of take that story and then be like what's the best way to showcase this so i was really looking for like when do i feel like this is a video game movie that's interesting question um honestly like okay so for me i feel like like this movie is is uh uh a love letter to to John Hughes, classic video games and like indie rock culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- there's the fact that the music was in there, and it's all done and by it wasn't, Beck, by the way. Some of it, some of it was done by Beck. Um, the sex is it really? song, yeah. This is one of the things the I was going to look up, and then one of the things I was hoping Lance would know. Fantastic. Yeah. Psycho Parador. Um, I'm a loser, baby. I don't even know this. <laughs> and there's another band that did um, the songs for uh, Crashed in the Boys, which was a broken social scene. And uh, the band that did the music for uh, Clash at Demon Head was uh, this band called The Metric. But anyway, yeah. It, it, so not just like, I mean, obviously the music had a huge thing to do with it, but just the culture that whole indie rock culture of like the parties and the way everybody just kind of sits around and the way they talk and the clothes they wear and their haircuts and just their snide remarks and it's 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 very much hit on the nose and um, it reminded me of slc punk like the party scenes in slc punk where it's like all the mods and the mm. hipsters and stuff like and they're all just yeah. kind of wallflowers and everything. Like the first time I saw it, I got those vibes from SLC Punk in in Scott Pilgrim, which SLC Punk is another one of my favorite movies. So I, I definitely feel Holy like fucking that posers die, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely feel like similar beats in these two movies, and they couldn't be so dynamically different, but yeah. they have similar beats. Yeah, I, well, I agree. Go ahead. Well, Jay, Jay mentioned something about that music scene being brought into here. And so here's a question for Lance. I think the gamers, this movie really tries, are, are, well, um, let me just show my hands. It's a bit loaded of a, loaded of a question, and you can take it any way you want or a statement. Is the sense this movie, I feel like, really tries to portray the gamer as the hipster outsider, right? Now, when I think about 
um, and which is great, you know, like the like the he, you know he's searching for vinyls. Uh, he's uh, there's obsc- obscure references. There's you know these kind of pithy dialogue. Um, do you feel like that's an accurate depiction of the gaming world? Because when I look at the gaming world, I feel that the majority of the average Joe is actually playing video games. Uh, so how how accurate do you see Scott Pilgrim? And his band of of sidekicks representing that gaming culture is that kind of an idealized way of how we would like to be viewed? Is this is this a a call to like no hey we're cool or is this how a lot of gamers see themselves and how actually the gaming world is? It's a lot. It's I, a lot I feel stuff. like with this movie coming out in 2010, I feel that it was more the video gaming was more of an indie. Th- thing I, I mean yes it was mainstream of course because with halo and all those things but it wasn't until recently with the debut of of like streaming channels like twitch and things like that where i think it's become much more mainstream than it was even mm-hmm. 11 years ago um but i do feel like this movie is trying to, with it being from 2010 is trying to be uh kind of in that same vein as like a nick and nora's infinite playlist like very very any indie type rock type thing and yes i do believe those people play video games Mm -hmm. the the ones that they're depicting in the in the movie but i feel like back then it was a majority of those people were Mm -hmm. rather than you know jocks playing call of duty or whatever it could be you know like i think that's more it's less it's it's less it was more like it was back then than it is now Mm, okay what do you think jay well also, you know, in the movie, the they there was no real mention of of current video games, mm-hmm. though. If you if you think they were, they were all yeah, they all talked about retro. There was all Nintendo, Legend of Zelda, like you said, Tetris. And I think back then, retro gaming was was kind of like that. Like you know, people used to go to 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 Savers and 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 Goodwill and get Atari twenty six hundreds you know, and, and yeah, me. see that dude right there and, uh, and do that. But I don't think that was really part of a mainstream until like Lance was saying until kind of recent. Is that retro gaming culture kind of, we've, we did a whole set on vinyl. We've mentioned it a couple of times as far as representation of especially male, um, archetypes in these kind of movies is retro video gaming kind of, like vinyl culture or comic book culture, indie so. comic book culture. Yeah, Cause there's a purity behind I think it. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're like cartridge games in general that there, it, there's a purity behind it much more than, or much like records or my wife just told me the other day, cassette tapes are becoming a thing again. And I so been, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. My, my oh, other podcast uh, uh, partner is buying cassette tapes again. I go, Oh, I go, you either got to lose the cassette tapes or the mustache. You can't have both, brother. So, so with record, and I'm just going to go off off the path for a minute. Mm-hmm. Records, I get it. The music sounded warmer, right? With tone and everything like that. Cassette tapes sounded like garbage. Like, I don't understand why anybody would want to listen. And they get tank, like they get, you know, the, the, the tape would come out or whatever. Like, there's no purity to listening to music on a cassette tape i don't get it but 
I digress. Well, there is <laughs> this novelty. There is this. You see it in the film where these, you know, we have the. I guess it's retro now. The kind of Street Fighter Mortal Kombat setup of power bars and stuff. To me, that's where oh, yeah. I left off. So it just seems like, oh, well, I guess these are video games still. Uh, but you're right. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is. Maybe even even in 2010, that came off as a bit retro. But you see them flipping through records. At one point, are they in a like a thrift store as well? Like, are they shopping uh-huh. for thrift store clothes? So yeah. we have this, this, we're in a record store flipping through old CDs. We're in a thrift shop. And then we have this, and then we're juxtaposing that next to these kind of retro video games. And it seems to be a, a, a hey, this culture is like these cultures. We're not, we're, it almost seems that Scott Pilgrim is trying to separate I'm glad you mentioned retro gaming. It's almost trying to separate itself off from the mainstream. Like there, like there's not just gamers. There is a whole subculture in gamers. Uh, And, and is it effective in doing that? Yeah. I, I also feel like that this isn't like, yes, the movie came out in 2010, but I don't feel like it's depicting 2010. Cause you can tell by their clothes too. I mean, he's wearing uh, sweatbands on the, on his forearm and like it's very holding coffee hats and stuff like that you know like the hundred yeah, caps and stuff like that 2000 to 2004 era so i don't even know when the be. comic book came out yeah 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 so i don't even know if it's really depicting to 2010 and when you look at 2004 retro gaming was very indie i mean the yeah. you know the people were just unloading these games nobody knew that they'd be worth any money in hindsight, they were just unloading them at Goodwill. And that's when I really started to get into it was about that time because uh. you could find some classics for this cheap. Is, this is also before they started having the, you could get a system and then just download packages of retro games all in one kind of free bundle. Oh, yeah. Uh, so oh, it yeah. became like the hunt, which I think the vinyl people, the 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 classic book people who are, you know, looking through old bookstores, the the vintage clothing people, it, they they get wrapped up into that culture of the 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 artifact, the treasure hunt, right? Uh, the like obs- the obsession for value where only you and a few others see value, right? Comic books uh, as yeah. as well. And I think that's what this this movie makes me more interested in gaming culture than what I observe about gamers in my regular life. When I see when I walk into a an apartment or a house and people are playing video games, whether it be like Red Dead Redemption or Halo or whatever the new the new hotness is, I'm like, yeah, good. Whew, I don't want to be. Glad I'm not, 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 not one of those. Like I, 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 I could see myself getting sucked in, but I'm like, okay, that's your thing. Um, but then when I watch this movie, I'm like that, that inner hipster in me starts, starts scratching and I'm like, wait, wait, wait a minute. What's going on here? What do you guys got going on here? (laughs) You know? I was very Dave Chappelle. Yeah. 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 I'm like, come on, man. What you got? Some Pac-Man? You got some gal cup? I mean, even even just the names of the bands, um, Crash and the Boys was an old NES game. Um, Clash at Demon Head, yeah, Clash at Demon Head was an old NES game. Sex Babom, uh, Babom is the little character in, in Super Mario Brothers. Was Crash like the Crash Bandicoot? I know that's a video game, right? Is that what it's referring to? No, no, there was actually a, a 
video game called Crash and the Boys. Yeah, Crash Bandicoot didn't come out till the first PlayStation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so this is more that 80s video game. Mm-hmm. Oh, quick yeah. quick, uh, quick yeah. on the band names. While we're on it, um, everyone go around. What was your favorite of the uh, four bands? Because we, we have uh, Sex with Bomb. We have uh, uh, Jake go down from... We have Crash and the Boys. What are the other two? The, the, and the Crash Japanese, and Demon Head. And we have the Japanese Twin yeah. DJs. Oh, yeah, I don't remember them. Oh. I don't remember oh. the, the Twin DJs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're the ones with the big wall of speakers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't know? Remember that, Jay? Yeah, yeah. I don't remember what they were called though. So it's obviously not Jay's favorite band. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jay. Favorite is always Sex Bomb because Beck wrote those. Oh yeah, Yeah. Sex Bomb was totally. I I, when first time I heard that that I saw the movie, I I I remember. I, I think it was my wife that who i saw it with i'm like this is actually really good because <laughs> i'm not usually like you know you see fake bands in movies and you're like eh, whatever you know but i'm like damn this is actually pretty cool i think know? clash of demon head if you got a second song could maybe be in the running depending on their second song because they sound like yeah. like kind of like veruca salt to me uh mm. it, where it was kind of i'm like all right i can hear it we can, I, I, I can hear it on there what's uh the, is that what is it yeah, yeah 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 volcano girls uh yeah. they, will, they will be on a pop bonsai playlist i got i got i'm <laughs> looking for a place to put them in um but, but yeah I, about, oh go ahead no please well i was just saying the music that is edgar wright's staple right mm-hmm. in oh his yeah movie. dude is he pays such close attention to the music and the emotion that and, the music drives, and, and this movie just does it again. And the music is in the movie. Uh, I forgot the term for it, but it's it's not a needle drop. It's it's coming from the actual, whether it be the car radio in Baby Driver or the actual stage in. Uh, I mean, there is obviously a lot of sound. There's a ton of sound effects in swipes and uh, gestures throughout this whole movie to give it that comic book feel to it um, yeah. on there. Yeah. yeah, it's very, you know, and I know we mentioned like Quentin Tarantino, like in every one of our podcasts, but I that's another director that I feel uses music especially like pop music very effectively in his scenes, almost like he writes to those songs, you know, and, and Edgar Wright has a, a, an uncanny ability to kind of do the same Edgar thing. Wright better. I think, a Yo, baby, yeah. I think baby driver is an experiment on uh, creating a, a, uh, a movie from a playlist. I, I think that those mm-hmm. songs uh, d- decided what was going to be in that scene. Almost, you know. Well, he's um, done it ever since Shaun of the Dead. I mean, the the Queen track where they're beating the the zombie with the <laughs> sticks and beating it to the the you know the music's coming out of the jukebox and he's beating the zombie with the pool cues to the beat of the song. I mean, that's where my love from Edgar Wright started. I was like, this guy is obviously a musician. Oh yeah, or, or a huge music yeah. fan. Yeah, or, yeah, he wouldn't understand the emotional impact that some of these songs drive. But he it- wasn't. An editor above everything else. I mean, that's that's an eye mm-hmm. for cutting. He's cutting. Yeah. He's cut. He's cut the scenes before he's even shot them. Yeah, It'd be absolutely. To be on set with him and see what direction he gives. Yeah, I I could only imagine what his Ant Man movie would have been. I know, dude. I know. That's like, oh man. And apparently, <laughs> he and Kevin Feige patched things up, so maybe we could get a movie in the future. Oh. I feel like Guardians of the Galaxy could have been 
an Edgar Wright movie, like the way they did Guardians of the Galaxy with mm-hmm. you know, Star Lord's love of, of those old retro songs and stuff like that. I feel like that was as close to Edgar Wright as the Mar- Marvel has gotten. James Gunn did good with that. I he feel did really too, well. Though. Yo, yeah, that wasn't a knock on James Gunn. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, they got close to Edgar Wright's level. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, I mean, yeah, I agree. We we kind of all agree that um, Edgar Wright has kind of taken the idea of a gamer and really separated out into, hey, gamers can be this kind of funky subculture group um, that creates purpose and meaning to a, a hobby, right? Um, which... When we look in line with some of the plots here, uh, yeah, I've watched the movie several times, but I haven't watched it in maybe a couple of years. And this time I was really watching it for, uh, I'd watched it before for the the cuts and, and really appreciated what he was doing with that. And we'll talk about the performances here in, in, in a little bit as well. But continuing on with this, with this idea of, uh, we look at what's happening in this story. So uh, Scott has to defeat the seven evil exes, right? Um, and in order for you know what's the female protagonist's name in this not ramona that flower ramona flowers mm-hmm. so she, like she can like move on right like move on uh but scott has to uh break up with knives in order for in, in, until he can finally move on scott is an evil ex-boyfriend when scott when scott dates knives and he doesn't break up with her properly doesn't tell her he is on the, the chart of the course to be someone's evil ex-boyfriend. And so before he can defeat the final ex-boyfriends, he has to um, keep himself from becoming an evil ex-boyfriend, right? Um, exactly. And so it's all about letting go before you can move on. And I, I couldn't help but think about this time when I started thinking about the subculture of collecting and nostalgia uh, of, I wonder if that was something that Edgar... I don't think so based on the the time period. I don't think the stout like the the nostalgia bug had hit pop culture as much in 2010 as it did in maybe 2014 and and on. But I often wonder I'm like, "Hey, before I can progress as an adult, you know, do I have to let go of some of my nostalgia from the past? Like I love like comic books. I love uh, you know, uh pop punk bands that sung about breaking up with girls in high school. But in order to <laughs> discover the new stuff, do I have to properly let go of that old stuff? In the movie, it's a so. relationship. In this uh 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 but there's also the sense of your interest in here. Go ahead, Lance. Yeah, I I think I think you can have a love for old stuff as long as you don't become a cynic about new stuff. Mm. Right? So, that was something that I found myself, you know, even 5 6 years ago falling victim to with when it comes to music. You both know I'm a musician. Uh Travis, you're a musician as well. Um I have an old love for those old punk bands in in the 80s and the 90s and in the 2000s and then eventually got to the point where I was like new music sucks right and I started turning in my dad and now I feel like I have a greater appreciation for some of this new stuff after learning about their influences and stuff and to see that they kind of have the same influences as me and I and I've and I've come to like some of this new music more and more but mm. I think that once you become a cynic, then you become that angry old man on the, you know, get off my lawn, you know, the type guy. Mm. And I think that that's 
if you hold on the nostalgia and you hate everything that's new, that's when you become one of those annoying hipsters or the guy in the record store that you don't want to go near uh, because he's upset that you bought, you know, the latest. Uh, Did you buy the Beatles in stereo, man? Like you gotta listen right. to them in mono, bro. <laughs> An audiophile, right? Yeah, like uh, Jack yeah. Black's character in High Fidelity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's see, I do listen to new music, but it's mostly new music that sounds like old music. <laughs> you know, yeah. as far as like new sounds, you know. I'm not a huge fan of of a lot of this newer things. I think it's a little weak. I think it lacks a little bit of like just the old like just charisma, you know, because I didn't grow up in the 50s or the 60s. And, you know, most of the 70s, I can't remember because I was, you know, tiny wee baby. But I can still listen to Elvis Presley, Little Richard, Eddie Cochran, Gene Vincent, you know, uh, Richie Valens, Buddy Holly, and say those guys, their music had something that new music does not. You know what I I mean? I think it. Well, yeah, and that's what I try to explain to people is like, yeah, if you if you stay on the radio, you're you're never going to find that depth. Right. Yeah. That de- the depth that was existent in between the 50s and the 70s is not existent on the radio today. It's just not. But there is new bands out there that um, that have that emotional depth and really use their music as a craft rather than a than a cash making uh, machine, you know, which I've shown you some new new stuff in my, in my car that you you enjoyed but you would never know that unless i showed it to you no no That's yeah that me about being a kid is <laughs> learning about new bands for my friends you know but you have to admit a lot of those bands you showed me sound like pop punk bands in yeah but they just put a new twist on it nine yeah yeah i mean same thing goes with film you know i mean i i didn't watch you know movies in the 70s but i think all those old scorsese movies you know, or Oliver Stone movies, you know, Apocalypse Now and Taxi Driver and Godfather and, and uh, Mean Streets. I mean, they all have a lot more depth, guts and yeah. ferocity than anything that comes out. Most anything that comes out today, you know, I but I didn't have that, to that, that, that. That's that's frontiersmanship. I mean, you think about the people that first get in a wagon and cross you know, from uh, St. Louis to, to California, it's much more harder, it's much more raw. Uh, and then you look at it, you know, several centuries later, it's 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 a cakewalk, it's a flight, it's whatever it is. It's that yeah. it's that trailblazing. It's that you have to the 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 carts of the wheel have to dig into the mud. You're gonna get dirty when you do that, as opposed mm-hmm. to the tracks have already been laid. We're just kind of following in their path. And there is that sense of and I think Edgar Wright does that uh, in in Scott Pilgrim, what, what we're seeing here as a director too, just to get back to that, that that particular movie aspect of it, is not only aesthetically, but also subject matter wise and the music wise that he's using to do this. It is kind of it is going off into new territory. There is not a lot of films like Scott Pilgrim out there, um, right? 
right. <laughs> it, the, the fast cuts and and the and the swipes and the the all from all different directions uh, are very reminiscent of even like Shaun of the Dead, where we start seeing that in little degrees. But when you put it all together, and if you hadn't watched his catalog to that point, and you just went to the theater to watch Scott Pilgrim in 2010, because you're like, oh, I like Michael Sarah, or I think you know. Um, the trailer was good. Uh, you're in for like this kind of, you know, things swiping in and out, quick jokes. Uh, you know, they're not even like skits or bits. They're just like lines that are cut and swiped off the screen or close. You know, this whole film takes place pretty close up, tight in camera. Um, it's yeah. it's it's pretty trailblazing in itself. Um, well, and it's a shame too because nobody went and saw it. When it was, in I theater. know, I know. It was like, I think it debuted like fifth or sixth. I know, I know. They said behind um, Expendables, Eat, Pray, Love, and yeah, it was like a huge disaster. Well, now I think it has a bigger Rotten Tomatoes score than any of those movies. It's become a cult classic. That's crazy. To the point where they're being asked, "Is a sequel going to come out?" And it's been eleven years. Since that one came out, Lance. Speaking of that whole idea of trailblazing, one of the phenomenon with gamers that that uh, I guess I I could maybe understand, but maybe there's something else to it is this idea of the next the new console coming out and these high prices of it, and people jumping on that, waiting in lines, spending the money, you know, on these new consoles like a PlayStation, what is it, five now uh, or the yep. new Xbox? Is there is that does that somehow get back to that frontiersmanship of like, hey, you want to be the first to go into the unknown? Is there is that is there more is there cliche is there cachet, I should say, in that of being the first to go into those games and complete them? Or is it just an internal like, I gotta get my hands on that? I think uh well I, I have a PlayStation five. Mm-hmm. Um and the original reason why I bought it is because I was under the assumption there'd be games that I couldn't play. Right. Mm. And uh turns out there's not. So back in the day, like when the Nintendo came out and then the Sega came out and the Super Nintendo, from day one there was exclusive games on yeah. those systems that you can only play on that system. But now with so much cross platform stuff, like I just don't know if it holds the same weight that it used to. I think much more it's much more now than ever, it's it's more of a statement. I've got the new console. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think the real reason why we're why we're seeing uh, the shortage of them, because still, I mean, it's been out since uh, early November. There's still a shortage of these systems. Is there really? Still. Oh, my yep. gosh. And I think that that plays into COVID, probably reduced manufacturing uh-huh. and things like that. But on the same note, there's there's a real big issue with, with bots coming in and buying um, up entire stocks at one time and then reselling them for double or triple the price double to triple the price on on the internet Bastards. there's there's idiots on the internet that'll pay those prices so um and it's it's all about statement it's gotten so bad to the point where where it's like i spent fifteen hundred dollars on on my ps5 just mm-hmm. to have it you know i mean that's a statement i wonder I if if, if game down. game systems for game developers are kind of like new uh cameras and stuff for like when they came out with panavision in you know uh in film and oh like we can do this we can show more of the screen but it took a few years before any of the directors or uh cinematographers actually knew how to use that technology to evolve it to making it worthwhile i wonder if that's gonna be the case with playstation station 5 where you have 
you know, you can play all these old games on there or the new games coming out, you can play on old systems. But I wonder if someone's really, if, if it takes a pioneer to kind of look at that system and be like, okay, here's technically what's possible and here's what hasn't been done yet. I want to give I want to give my user an experience that can they can only have with this. You can like you can only see, you can only get the yeah. movie this way in Panavision. You can only play this game this way in PlayStation Five. I think I don't I don't think it's reached its potential yet. Mm -hmm. hmm. Because I honestly in 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 my buddy Max that, that does the show with me, he's much more of a audiophile and a what would you call it a visual file. Mm -hmm. I don't, that sounds kind of sexual, like he's a peeping Tom or something, but you understand what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't really tell a difference between my PS4 Pro and this PS5. I can't. There's no, I, I kind of look back on it. And I'm like, yeah, I, I'm glad I bought it so that I, that I don't have to go hunting for it or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? But at the same time, I was like, my PS4 kind of worked pretty good. For what I, it was, I wonder mm -hmm. if that that the um, it seemed like the 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 possibility for new games is kind of a new gameplay has what had in the past is what had driven uh, new console development. It's like, well, if we do this yeah. with the console, then we can have games that do this. And it seems like we've yeah. reached a point where it's like, hey, our games are doing this just fine, but here's a new console that just makes it more high def uh, or more quicker or whatever it is but it hasn't evolved i wonder if we reached a place where the idea of gameplay we, we've exceeded the consoles have exceeded the vision i think i think that the con like i think there's more that they could do for video games but the restriction here is that people's television sets haven't caught up to what mm. these gaming systems can do so i mean there's only three or four televisions that you could buy right now that would really open up what the ps5 like that zenith series can do <laughs> yeah right <laughs> like my zenith. tv my tv is playing pretty much just a little bit better than what my ps4 pro did because that's all it can handle it can't mm -hmm. handle anything more by the so way we, think... should, we should mention that zenith is also what you nicknamed your penis right <laughs> right, I have, I, yeah i have a battle cry because it's so boxy because it's so boxy uh but uh you know i think i think that the technology is there with the console is just you don't have the pairing there and and uh, maybe they're hesitant to come out with some games that push those boundaries because mm. people aren't going to be able to experience experience them mm. so J I mean, I want to get a new TV, and they're not available. Oh, yeah, yeah. Plus, J the technology is so expensive. Still, you know, take yeah, take but it's us, cheaper than it ever was. Take right us now. into the performances here. What are some of the standout performances that you guys really saw in this movie that kind of elevated it beyond the page? Um, Michael Sarah, acting, like yeah. acting or the musicians? Yeah, no, yeah, acting. We haven't talked much about the actual performances of the actors in this. I think Michael Sarah is the one that stands out the most. Mm -hmm. I yeah. Mean, he essentially looks like he's playing his real life version of mm -hmm. himself. <laughs> he's like really good opera. in this. Yeah. 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 His, his law is that because the, his reactions are only like 
three seconds. His lines, he gets three seconds into cut. Three seconds into cut. So he gets to say things like, oh, it's hard. Cut. Right? Double standards. Cut. Right? There, there yeah. doesn't, there's no monologues that have to be carried out in this film whatsoever. There's no, like, De Niro or, or, or De Niro's a bad example. There's no uh, longer <laughs> monologues that have to be be carried out in here. I would think the only so, one is Jason Schwartzman at the end. Yeah. When yeah. he's kind of talking about, he's kind of talking to Michael Sarah, you know, and I would say he has probably the longest, yeah, the longest set of lines under under uninterrupted in this entire movie. The Scott sister when they're on the swing set, maybe get does she have a monologue maybe. there? Yeah, something like that when she's get kind of giving the 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 kick in the ass for the third act. Um, but yeah, there's not, there's no, there's no monologue, so it just gets to be fun deliveries. And mm-hmm. no one does fun deliveries, I think, better at that time period. And Michael Sarah was great at it. Yeah. Well, and if you think Michael Sarah's best movies are the ones where he gets to play awkward. So you look at Arrested Development, he was kind of the awkward. Um, Youth and Revolt, I think, was one that yep. he did where he's kind of awkward. Juno. A mustache, yeah, yeah, yeah. Super bad. He was the awkward to set um, Jonah Hill's uh, uh, raunchiness. You know what yeah. I mean? Like they Nick played and off each other real well. So Nick and Nora, yeah, but when yeah, he, had a, he really out, had a run there for like four or five years after oh, he uh, was a hot commodity from like two thousand six yeah. yeah. to two thousand eleven, I would say. Yeah, and I don't but see. Is, sometimes you could see like Polly Shore. You could see like, oh, I understand why it dropped off. I don't <sighs> understand what soured people on maybe oversaturation. Yeah, and plus, I don't think a lot of people really got that character i think mike just all those characters michael sarah plays i think it i think it kind of rubs a lot of people the wrong way sissy boy you know it's like because again i don't think dudes like that that talk like that has that have that sense of humor and that that wit they're dry. tend not to be the the favorites, you know. Usually. That's a good point. I think when you're looking at the demographic of the movies he's mm. in, uh, that 18 to 30 year old demographic, you look at, especially with like males, uh, I think Michael Sarah poses an option that's very threatening to what the traditional idea of a for Leading crass man. language yeah, yeah pussy getting male yeah. is and so that that's threatening You're like wait 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 a minute Where, where's the the no it's supposed to be a, the jock where's the chris evans character that gets the girl maybe he's a little bit geeky but he still gets the girl that's who i am man and when you see this nebbish kind of character over and over again being the it's it's almost like oh don't show girls that that those options for men <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> At the same yeah, time, I'm there, know. I'm like, yes, more, <laughs> more everything. <laughs> and that dude's not all buff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Look at the kind of chicks know? that he's pulling. Well, and it's interesting if you look at, so my wife and I just finished um, that new Stephen King show, The Stand. And there's a scene in there where uh, this big dude who's traditional, like, kind of jockey guy is um beating up the uh kind of nerdy michael sarah-esque guy <laughs> like those jockey guys have turned into the villains you know revenge of the nerds did it first i would say probably but oh, yeah after that it was more of the 
the six pack rippled abs. Well, you know? even in the eighties, they um, um, would they'd have the jocks and the nerd, but the nerd would always be just a jockey actor in you know in a, uh, bad clothes. Yeah, yeah, you like know? bad hair. And maybe maybe not like duck. Even like Ducky, you're like Ducky. Like if you put him in like a a polo shirt, he would be beating kids up. You know, um, which they did it with he, girls too. I was just reading something about Rachel Lee Cook and uh, was that she's all that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How yeah, she no. was nerd at the beginning of the movie, and then they turn her yeah. into this hot girl. They made, actually she was pretty hot as a yeah. Nerd. They made fun of her in not another team movie, like, but she's got a ponytail and glass. Became another Chris Evans movie. Uh, she got a ponytail and glasses. You're like she could never be prom queen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so speaking of which, we're talking about Michael Sarah. So here's a, a fun thing I do with um, films that have elements that they could not be set in a previous time period because of video games, right? What I like to do is like backcast to that or whatever it is. So um, you can like backcast. Okay, if you were to, if this, if Scott Pilgrim versus the World was made in the 1930s, what actors from the 1930s would play Scott? Uh, Pilgrim. I'm not going to make us go back that far, but I did find the perfect 80s casting for Scott Pilgrim, which I'm going to hold because it's going to beat yours for sure. But I will ask you, if you're going to pick a, an actor, let's say uh, pick a year in the like 86. We'll go right in the middle of... Jeez, dude. Like who would play Scott Pilgrim mm-hmm. in 86? Yep. I got mine. This, this is number one <laughs> one, so I don't... I don't... Uh, Lance is googling 1986 my... actors. I know, but no, no, totally I thought he was gonna pick mine. Then <laughs> I'm gonna write mine down on a sheet of paper. <sighs> okay, someone who's young though, right? Like most of these that's showing me, 80 or older. Oh well, for sure, Michael Sarah would be Anthony Michael Hall. Oh no, I go Michael J. Fox. Yeah. I go Michael J. Fox this one. I think it's a perfect casting. Michael J. Fox. Yeah, Listen, that would I expected that would work. I think I, Anthony Michael, I, Michael Hall would work too. I'm gonna cut that out. I'm going to add in when I say Michael J. Fox. I'm going to add in uh Yeah. I'm going to add in the laugh track that they add into this movie when he walks in to uh see Karen Colkin on there. Who uh moving oh, on Ralph to other Macchio. moving on to other cast members, yeah. uh I love Karen Colkin, uh Kieran Colkin. Uh I love yeah. him in this movie. Great. Um gives uh, the movie, um, someone to point out Scott's flaws. Him, uh, Kieran's cult, uh, character and his sister's character let us know because um, Scott falls into the classic fool who does good character, the story arc, right? Fool who succeeds, right? Uh, accomplishes, becomes hero. Fool becomes hero. That's Scott, the Scott Pilgrim story. We've seen that uh, a million times in storytelling. But one of the weaknesses in this movie that is you're like oh what is like what is scott because we he's so likable and in his world he's so cool and he immediately comes out of the gate fighting you know like kicking ass you're like <laughs> well what's 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 he got to overcome what's what's got to change and we see this idea of well he's you know has this history that what so-and-so refers to him as like a lady killer and he's talked about his past how he kind of just dismisses girls and kind of gets bored or distracted and moves on he has to overcome that which he does at the end um but 
it's tough to and find. Not only that, he's a pedophile. What, what she knives, said, knives is in high school. How old is school. Scott in this movie? He's 22? like 20 something. Yeah, 22? and he's dating a high school girl. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. they make fun of him quite a bit for it. That he's so, follow up question. What state are they in? Well, they're in Toronto. <laughs> Toronto. Toronto. Yeah. It's like anything yeah. goes in yeah. Toronto. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, what were you saying before I? We were talking about uh, some of the other standout performances, other standout performances or characters that you wanted to talk about, and and how they either fit into a gaming character type or how they service the story. Well, let me just throw this in a uh, fun little tidbit. So apparently, um, Edgar Wright had the the what three members of Sex Bomb actually learn to play their instruments and not just that but uh play together as a band it wasn't the drummer was it was what do you mean Hill? yeah was, was she one of them of the three who learned how to play their instrument oh all three of them did michael oh, oh, apparently, oh. well apparently oh, yeah. michael sarah already knew how to play bass yeah but the other dude well, um, most people know how to play bass well yeah and <laughs> the, that the, style of music <laughs> and the drummer had to had to learn how to play and they played together because he didn't want to he want he didn't want it to seem uh you know it, he wanted it to be authentic looking and you know. that's interesting when you say that because when she counts off she goes we are sex bomb one two three but then she gets really kind of focused and small now, if you were doing that and it was like someone playing a drummer, they would, we are sex of bomb, one, two, three, and boom, boom, real loud, real big oh, movements. Yeah. But she Go gets open. she gets real focused into it. She gets real right down. I noticed that this time because I was like, oh, like it went real big and then in there and maybe that's her like, this is how I would play this song. Interesting. Yeah. The bass line, no, the bass off is great in this. The bass off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though uh, the other guy, I think, was better than Michael Sarah, <laughs> I think Michael <laughs> yeah, Sarah, Michael Sarah wins, right? Uh, I think they get like blown out. No, I think he wins the base. I think he blows him out into the alleyway, and then the fight takes place in the alleyway. Yeah, he, yeah. But the other guy was better. <laughs> yeah. Um, if there's no uh, other uh, performances you want to talk about, let's talk about favorite evil X scene. Who's your favorite I'm evil X? Chris Evans, yeah. Really? <laughs> yeah. I and then number so. two would probably be May Whitman. Is that the uh okay, the 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 woman? Yeah. I was say just because I, I love May Whitman ever since I saw Parenthood mm-hmm. uh, with her in it. Uh I think she's a fantastic actress that doesn't get enough opportunities. And she's in Good Girls now and she's fantastic in that as well. But May Whitman when I saw her on screen, I got really excited because I really like her as an actress. And it's not a sexual thing or anything. Like, I think she's a very solid actress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she fights Ramona, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Ramona. And they try her best to make her look very, like, 80s punk, like, with the smeared black eyeliner. But it wasn't believable. <laughs> yeah. It was very... It was very like a Halloween uh, costume. Yeah. Yeah. She's... She's uh, too cute and sweet to really play off the 80s punk. But I, I, I really like that, like her as an ex, Chris Evans. Um, the dude in the dance club kind of annoyed me a little bit. Yeah, that was that was mm. that I think was a 
dangerous choice. Like, I guess once you have it in the can, you're editing it, you have to do it. But that is the moment where if someone's going to turn off the movie, it's that moment. It's when that first X Bollywood. comes off. Yeah. Yeah, and it was and, almost, it was almost like, I don't know if that would, that will age well. It didn't, this, yeah. this really. Yeah. In like, the song, I, and then like, he's, I feel like he's like off key. It just didn't, it didn't, I could see it working in a comic if that scene is in the comic, you know, but when you take it to the uh, film, it just didn't, it just, especially as your, as your first X coming out, you really want to start with a bang. And it, uh, if they didn't have that second X come up within the next 15 minutes, you could have lost a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I, I feel like if that, if this movie was pitched today and they said, okay, and then we're going to have a very, um, a, a very obvious uh, Indian actor come up and do a Bollywood scene and he's going to be the bad guy. No studio would do that. Yeah. There's also a couple of things that wouldn't play, like how he handles uh, Kieran's character who's gay and some of the, the uh, comments they make on that wouldn't fly probably in a mainstream 2021 yeah. movie. No. Well, yeah, even you have to look at it in a scope, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I mean, even I noticed this for the first time. And I mean, I, maybe other people. Are yeah. Jay was like, he's it. gay. Turning this off. But even like uh, uh, Scott Pilgrim, he was kind of a dick. In the fact, so he dated Kim, the drummer, and kind of just left her for another woman. Or I think it was for Envy. Then Envy left, and then he dated I, I don't know, but every girl that he that that he dated, he didn't really break off with. He just kind of let him go, like he just kind of well, used he him. And... Up, he was hung up on Brie Larson mm-hmm. because she's the one that left. And the same thing with Knives, you know. And it's like there look, are no, there are very few likable characters in this. I did not like Ramona Flowers at all, or his ex girlfriend, or any of them. I didn't like Knives. I think Young Neil is the only likable character in this movie. I know. I know. <laughs> My favorite character, by uh, the way, Young Neil, has the best lines. She oh, knocked yeah. the highlights out of her hair. <laughs> <laughs> well, and he's secretly in love with knives. Yeah, right. You, you gotta get uh, that. You gotta. You gotta have some. You gotta have. You can't. Be, if you don't have Young Neil, then Scott looks like a real asshole for dumping knives. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it turns out he's a better place bass player than Michael Sarah too. Yeah. So. He joins the band and they're instantly better. No, I liked Aubrey Plaza and um, uh, what's the sister's name? What's that actress's name? Kendrick. Kendrick, Kendrick um, Lamar yeah. is in this. Um... <laughs> Anna Kendrick. Yeah. I thought they, well, Anna Kendrick, she's the sister, right? If I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. She's kind of a bitch, but she does a good job playing a, she's constantly getting down on Scott and everything, but I liked Aubrey Plaza too. Yeah, yeah. it was a who's who sure. of like the hipster uh, actors of 2010. It was like, well, I would say that the, this movie came out before Aubrey Plaza and Anna Kendrick really hit it. Oh, for like, sure. Yeah, yeah. It was like they had Parks and Rec, and and I don't know what yeah. Andrew Kendrick was in that was big before this. Um, I can't think of anything. Yeah. Okay, so starring role. as we're kind of wrapping things up here, Lance, so do you think when you look at this movie, we kind of talked about this earlier, but from, from a, a gaming culture, do, do well, first of all, 
in the gaming community people talk about this movie is this a celebrated like in the cocaine community like star scarface is huge <laughs> yeah um what's well, I know. first answer that question what is the scarface of the gaming community as far as pop culture movies what's the what's the movie poster that all gamers have in their dorm room Hopefully not ready play, Ready Player One. <laughs> no, and we know you're not speaking for all gamers, but just on your own opinion. He's like thinking, he's like, man, I don't want to put this out there, man. What if I'm wrong? <laughs> I'm trying to think. I mean, for for the longest time, those movies did not do well. I mean, the first one to really do well in in theaters was Sonic the Hedgehog that came out what last year mm-hmm. came out. Um, I'm trying to think of what would be. a big movie i don't know jay what do you think for gamers dude i don't even know tron <laughs> yeah it's actually not bad it's not bad it's not, a, it's not a... tron tron wasn't based on a video game but it's about a video game yeah. so probably tron yeah tron i mean mortal Kombat. that that original one was pretty mm-hmm. big i'm trying to put my myself back into college and walking into dorm rooms that had gamer chairs and trying to picture what was on their walls i think i had a train spotting poster on my wall so i wasn't any better than any of the rest you of the probably cliches. still do yeah <laughs> <laughs> probably resident evil resident ah, evil. well yeah. played sir that is i think that yeah i yeah. can't i can't think of one better than that yeah that was probably the biggest biggest one to come out horror horror the horror genre and gamers tend to go pretty well together I, 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 from what I observed, a lot of gamers. They're both kind of unbelievable, right? Like, like the way the video game movies are are in this fantasy world, and horror is kind of like this exaggerated mm-hmm. uh, fantasy type type movie. They they kind of fit really well. So, well, Resident Evil, Doom, all those movies, like mm-hmm. they could really push the dial to eleven to quote Spinal Tap. Well, and, it, uh, it, to be interesting about the Scott Pilgrim thing too is Scott has no problems fighting these guys yeah. as we as we yeah. as we come into it, and he's this you know kind of weakling you know you wouldn't wouldn't last two seconds in a bar fight, but I wonder if that's that that gamer fantasy element is like I play a lot of video games, so of course I could kick ass in a fight, and here yeah. we see Scott Pilgrim, yeah. he's like he's winning these he's beating these fights and beating these exes. Uh, assumingly because he has these experiences with these retro fighting games he's like oh of course i'm good at these games so i can beat your ass here well he pulls the sword out of his back and yeah and all yeah yeah. i mean well and that's essentially what video games are is like some guy that shouldn't be or guy or gal that shouldn't be this bad i mean super mario brothers is a fat plumber that goes and fights dinosaurs like that shouldn't happen you know Mm -hmm. like he should he should get eaten like in the first level but it that's kind of all it is is kind of taking this guy that doesn't have a chance and giving him a chance so uh, i'll go around with kind of as we finish up our our first set here here's kind of my takeaway and jay then i'll hear you uh your your takeaway my what i took away from this uh movie and this conversation with lance um which I didn't think about coming into this conversation and is this idea of gaming being this really kind of niche market 
where the crossover is very similar to other markets like vinyl. We've talked about comics and stuff like that, where there is this there's a hierarchy there's you have to have some pedigree to go into it there is some snobbery in it um uh, same with film as well and i guess i looked at coming into this i always kind of looked at video games as kind of like a mind this is very no just say it a mindless mainstream media (laughs) consumption if it's just like all right here's the game it has borders. It has rules. I'm going to complete it. Next game on on here. But there's a real culture around it, and mm. it's not just the oh, I'm living in a fantasy world uh, for you know four hours a day. But there is this community around it, and there is a a, a kind of a snobbery that I kind of. Mm, that I'm guilty of in my own passions um, surrounding it. So I'm going to be interested in, in looking to see if our future media over this next month, if I see some connections to that. What's your takeaway from Scott uh, Scott Pilgrim and our Lance conversation here, Jay? Um, yes, I, I agree that there is, you know... I guess you can call it a snobbery, but it's it's people who are very focused on one little corner of this, you know, of this realm in pop culture. You know, like you were saying, there's there's the, the people that with the vintage clothes, the the you know vintage records, and uh, you know even like action figures. You know, there's people that collect vintage G.I. Joe's, vintage Star Wars, and they don't have repros. Right. Except for sissies, you know. Mm-hmm. He says he, people. He means himself. No. <laughs> I'm, uh, anyway. I'm seeing it from an old conga uh, comic poster here. I'm like, ew, <laughs> it's getting a little too hot in here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, nice. yeah, it's it's I I like that. I, you know, a lot of people are, are intimidated by it. You know, you're talking about the, the, you know, the, the kind of asshole record store clerk and, and yeah, you know what, that, that whole stereotype exists because it's true. You know, Lance, like some of those, you know, stores, I, I went shopping with Lance to in some used video game stores. It's the same way. Like it, if you walk into like, um, uh, like game, uh, for example, like GameStop, and you ask for, uh, "Hi, do you guys have any uh, Wii U Mario games? Kart?" Yeah, do you guys, <laughs> if you guys have Wii U games? They go, uh, "No." Oh, yeah, you know, same thing, dude. Um, so anyway, I like that that those cultures, the indie rock, the 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 vintage clothes, the vintage video games. I like that this movie. Even even vintage movies, because like I said, I saw a lot of parallels to John Hughes movies in Scott Pilgrim, especially the end, the very end when when Knives and Ramona and Scott were sitting there talking. It was pretty in pink to the T, you know, Jay, we're going to pick that conversation up when you read Ready Player Two. Okay, (laughs) which I already started, by the way. Okay. yeah, and so I love it that this movie was uh, 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 an homage to 
all those things that I I grew up with and that I love as well. So, and Excellent. you know, I didn't really think about all that until this conversation. So, yeah. Uh, anything you picked up in this? I know you've watched this a couple dozen times, uh, Lance. But anything or well, anything in this conversation? You probably didn't even have to watch it again for this conversation. But anything that uh, you're interested in, in focusing on next time after this? Well, I think uh, what this movie shows me is that, yeah, it didn't do well in theaters, but it's become kind of a, a cult classic, this this movie. I mean, it's, I think the Blu-ray sales and, and, and those things far exceeded what it did in the theaters. And I think that there's something to be said about just these movies being genuine to the source material, which I feel like Scott Pilgrim is genuine to the source material. And we've Heck seen yeah, it. Dude. We've seen it with these Marvel movies that have come out, and then we've seen how bad they are when they don't stick to the source material like DC. And I'm not sure if that is a knock on us as the viewer that we can't accept anything that's 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 different than what you're, we're used to. No. Or if that's if that's praise to the movie studios that are understanding, like, let's give them what they love, right? And Scott Pilgrim kind of does that right it there wasn't mm -hmm. a lot of fans of this book it, it wasn't a well-known book it's not like iron man or captain america or something right it was, like that. It was put out by oni press which is like yeah. an independent comic book publisher but edgar wright still found the importance of doing something that was true to the source material and and i could argue you could argue that this is this and iron man were like the first two movies to really do that is to really be true and and kind of fan serve the fans and give them something that you know that fans of the original source material would love yeah and i think the the important is is that you can tell or write got these books like he got the gist of them he understood them on a mm -hmm. deeper level and and he was able to make this movie so true because of that. And, and even like, like a lot of the conversations that they had um, and the things that, that didn't, that weren't in the comics, it still seemed like it could have easily have been like those, that conversation with the Pac-Man uh, like, you know, why, you know, why they didn't call it, you know, the Pulp Puck Man thing that wasn't in the books, but yeah. it, it, it could have been. He was so you know? awkward explaining that. I love it. You know? Yeah. When you asked him later, were you the guy talking about Pac-Man? No, that, that wasn't me. That was... That's 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 all. Because we've but, all been there right at a party where we're talking about something that we think is like amazing and then we just get blank stares on <laughs> faces. But it was a line, oh, so we kind of deserved it. What do you... What do you uh, yeah. I know, I know we're, I, but you mentioned something that, that struck me as I was watching it. So uh, in this one, you know, he approaches uh, uh, Flowers with this Pac-Man talk and then his date with Knives is at this basically like this arcade, but kind of like a uh, Dave and Buster's style arcade. How comfortable are you, Lance, at waving your your gamer flag? Uh, well, you've been married for a long time, but um, in front of new people, like I, I, that, because it, it's a it's a fun, quirky day. But like, I, I, okay, so take gaming out of it, or take your marriage out of it. Like, how <laughs> comfortable are you at? Hey, I'm meeting this person for the first time. 
I'm not going to dip my, I'm not going to dip a toe. I'm going to have to have them dip a toe into my world. I'm going to, we're going to an arcade or we're going to a watch a black and white movie at a cinema house, or we're going to go shop for vinyls. How comfortable are you guys at, at showing your, your very niche interest with other people? I, I think it's changed since I started doing my podcast. Mm -hmm. Really like before couch crunchers, even, even, yeah, even before, uh, before I was married, yeah, I talked about music a lot because I was in a band and I was trying to get it into people's ears, right? Into their into their into their line site. But my love of comic books, of of old cartoons, of toys and things like that, I kept a lot of that stuff hidden. Even with music, I started playing guitar when I was when I was like 7 or 8 years old and nobody knew I played until I was about 15 or 16 when I or no, about 13 when I started getting into a band I, I kept that stuff mostly hidden I've, I've been writing poetry my whole life and I kept that stuff hidden um but the 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 podcast really showed me that there's people I think it's just 2010 and and after like it, it with the Marvel movies coming up and and those are being like big tent pole blockbusters now like Every T-shirt I own has some sort of cartoon character on it, or comic book character, <laughs> or something like that. Every T-shirt I own. So if I if I go out, I'm displaying my yeah, like a walking cereal box banner. Yeah, see, <laughs> it's a pop, a Funko Pop. Ninety percent of the shirts I own have some sort of Funko Pop character on it, and uh, I I display it proudly now. But I mean, and you've seen my office. I mean, it's from head to toe it's it's toys and in but prior to 2010 i was i was real secretive about that because i thought i don't want people to know that i'm a nerd you know what i mean i, I want to get laid again <laughs> you know like so and, and that's now a it's, song right there i don't want yeah. people to know i'm a nerd i want to get laid again <laughs> country song <laughs> um i don't know I mean, we we look at it like uh, one of my favorite movies, one of my favorite comedies ever, is uh, Grandma's Boy, right? And even in that movie, it kind of takes the nerds and makes them. That's a good video game. It almost movie. makes yeah. it. Yeah, it almost. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's a. I forgot that was even had anything to do about video games. They <laughs> work at a video game testing uh, place. Um, even they are seen as uncool right yeah they they kind of all of them they're kind of shuffled to the side they're cool in their little world but as soon as they go outside of that world they're no longer cool right mm -hmm. and uh that's that's the way it was depicted in movies for for decades is the nerds weren't the cool ones and um and i think i let that get you know to my psyche a little bit more than it probably should have yeah, well, it's it, it mm. well, it's certainly harder and harder to be an outsider these days, and that's an interesting dilemma that I think that the youth are having because um, that's a that's a part of brain development and identity is removing yourself from the crowd so you can figure out who you are, and 
because of the internet and because of subcultures, you, whatever you're into, there's a group that that's into that and where you're not yeah. the outsider. And so I think that we're getting more and more extreme in our in the youth and the personality of youths because they have to go more and more extreme extreme to be the outsider. Like, well, uh, you you just you're just this kind of no, I'm not. I bit my dick off and I bought a pit bull and I bit his dick off. I'm a pit bull dick biter, you know, whatever it is. Like you have to create new <laughs> subgenres that like you have to go more and more extreme to be labeled an outsider. Um, sometimes that can oh, yeah. take really violent and dark turns for, for some kids who are trying to find their identity, as we've seen with, you know, things like school shootings. And, I don't know why I'm turning this on a negative thing. Anyways, <laughs> but it, it, can, it can go to dark places, but I feel like we have, like, we want to, to be separate, but we want to be part of a community. We want to be an outsider, but we want to be accepted. And, and so, whether it's vinyl or video games or comic books, everyone needs to be, you got to have your main genre and your subgenre, right? You got to be mainstream, but then you got to have this over here, you know? And I don't know mm. if there is a subgenre anymore with social media. Mm. I think if you're a pit bull penis biter, you go on Facebook, Dick. you're going to find a, you're going to find a, <laughs> Hold on. You're gonna find I'm gonna Google it. I'm gonna also... tell you. I'm gonna tell you what. I, I'm gonna tell you the first hit I get. Uh, okay. Oh, well, I'm pretty Pits? sure if you're a pit bull penis spider that you're gonna bull. you're gonna get flagged, Travis. Penis. Yeah, you're gonna, we're gonna go dark here pretty I'm soon. On, I'm on Japanese uh, internet. We're good. The Japanese search this stuff up all the time. <laughs> pit bull penis biter. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna remove the .com and just go with the search. Uh, Pitbull bites off uh, New York five-year-old's genitals. Uh, USA Today Ooh. is the first hit. So someone's been there. There's Simpsons no did it first. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, Lance, well, thank you so much. This is a great start to our, our un uh, uncovering of um, gamer culture in pop culture media. And thank you for giving us your insight uh as a much more a mature and experienced gamer than jay and i are we are going to take your torch and we're going to run with it uh don't listen to the next three podcasts uh lance because we were probably going to make numerous errors about gaming and gamers uh, <laughs> uh but uh i know that your podcast is couchcrunchers.com is the website and they can yes. find you on um um iTunes and Spotify now, correct? Yes. Yep. All the yes. major podcast and, uh, platforms. Yeah, we're live every Friday night at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard on YouTube. That's ah, our, our main yeah. way to to get us is the live show. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they they've really put the the work and time into doing. Like you can see their faces, and they have a time, and they have a hangout and a chat room. You can engage in conversation with. Unlike Jay and I, who do it in the dark bowels of audio <laughs> world. We don't want you to see our faces. I'm getting older, guys. I gotta I gotta put a beanie on. Getting, Jay doesn't like the crowd wrinkles. <laughs> no. Yeah, and so they usually uh, start chasing me. It really, it really, it it is a it is a different vibe when you get to engage. So that's really cool that you guys do that. What do you have coming up my on favorite, the, it's the? My favorite part about our show is the live setting and and getting to talk to people on the air. That kind of and they kind of direct our conversation too. So it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. What were you asking before I rudely interrupted you? 
No. Uh, what do you have coming up on the? This is going to be released uh, this weekend. So what do you got coming up next week? What do you, What are you guys uh, discussing? So this this Friday uh, we're like Scott about... Pilgrim versus the world. God damn it, dance! <laughs> <laughs> this Friday we're talking about uh, the last episode of WandaVision, mm-hmm. and then um, the week after that, so the week of March, what would that be? Twelfth. Uh, yeah. It's going to be one of the Tom Holland movies, so we don't know if it's going to be Cherry, uh, Cherry, or Chaos Walking. I think it's called. I want to do Cherry, but we still haven't found a way to. Apparently, it's in theaters. We haven't found a way to watch it yet, so okay. we're trying to figure okay. that out. But, so Tom Holland, if you're but, a Tom uh, Holland fan, check it out. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of a nice segue because then we start getting into Winter Soldier, and that will be about six weeks of content with Winter Soldier, or uh, yeah, Falcon and Winter Soldier, and. And uh, it's a nice segue, another Marvel star movie, yeah. you know, in that week of no MCU TV shows. But you guys need to, Travis, you need to watch the latest episode of WandaVision. Maybe. That's what I'm doing after this podcast, my friend. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Lance. Uh, we, Jay and I have, we are, I would say, knee deep now into our uh, gamer uh, set uh, series. Uh, so we're going to be taking a look at a couple other pieces, which we already have established. So, uh, Jay, I'm going to have you say those pieces so that way they are set in stone. We cannot veer or vary from them. Uh, what do we have coming up in our next three gamer set podcasts? Okay. Uh, oh, in no particular so, order. So, um, in the next three weeks, we're going to be talking about um, King of Kong documentary and you suggested that and i'm not even sure what that's about yeah it's a pretty it's a pretty uh well-known documentary that if you you've heard if people heard about king kong fistful of quarters it's going to uh, allow us to dive deep into the culture of arcades uh and and gamers and then what do we have after after that um and then after that we are well hold on let me me check my notes here this is right that we're going to player two uh novel and uh travis and i both read um oh you've read both of them i i read ready player one uh which i really liked Mm -hmm. and ready player two it just came out this year i believe and i'm excited to read it and can't wait to talk about it yeah, and then, of course, we're going to finish it off with what we've been doing is that Jay and I, we are going to create a playlist uh, based on the things we've learned about in our conversations and our viewings and readings of uh, the pop media in this set. But this one's going to be a little bit interesting because this time we are going to be looking at, we're going to create a playlist of our favorite video game score tracks is that the right way to say that lance is are they called video game scores is that are we i don't want to embarrass ourselves uh, in this podcast <laughs> too late yeah, like the yeah it's a score i mean mo- yeah. video games have become more cinematic than they ever have before i mean so yeah, yeah that's a score but, but oh, i'm talking about this because it's like bloop, bloop, bloop. It's, I'm like, look at that score. That's a sweet. Score. I'm gonna be the most pretentious person. I mean, like, and listen to this score. Soundtrack. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> 
Yo, this is my favorite part. Soundtrack. <laughs> okay, soundtrack. We're gonna look at yeah. uh, uh, video game soundtrack sounds, whatever it is. We're gonna put that playlist out available for you guys on Spotify and YouTube, as always. And we're gonna talk about that. But this is just the beginning of our gamer set. So Jay and I will catch you next. Pop wave. Banzai!